And oh man, I am so happy to be with you. I know I say stuff like that every single Sunday. Forgive me, I'm battling a cold if I sound like I've been, yeah, stuffed up and stuff. But I know I say that every time, but I just missed you all so much. Uh, it's, I'm just so happy to be with you. It's a privilege to be part of this community, man. It really, really is. Really quick, uh, before we jump into things today, I wanted to bring something to your attention. Uh, Herrick and I have been praying about something for a little while, um, and what we've been praying about is, this is going to sound kind of like silly, but just follow me. Like, I'm kind of a Bible nerd sometimes in some way, shape, and form, and one of the things that I've been praying through for actually like over a year now is potentially switching the translation that we use on Sundays. I know. Relax, (laughs) relax. Um... Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Starting a revolution against me right now. Uh, but listen, there is a translation that I've been using now for, and it's not sketchy, okay? Just, <laughs> we're not like going away from, you know, a, a, an accurate and faithful transition of, a translation of the Bible. But there's the Christian Standard Bible is a Bible that I've been spending a lot of time with. And I've, me and Herrick both. Um, and we really, really like it. And here's why we really like it because it's incredibly accurate and faithful to the original language, and it's also, it's also readable. So one of the things that, if you know about church, I, I typically preach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, um, and I've done that for years now. I think it's incredibly faithful. I think it is um, incredibly accurate to the original language. Um, and it actually, the way that it's worded is actually, it's really helpful and powerful in some ways, but stay with me. They're just delivering stools. Thank you, guys. Well done. Give them a round of applause. Um, <clears throat> but, but here's the thing. One of the things about the ESV is that it can kind of be clunky to read sometimes because it's trying to be as faithful. Uh, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to explain this to you. When you talk about Bible translations, there's two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is literal. Like, what does it literally say? Okay, and the other end of the spectrum is what's called dynamic. And dynamic is like, what's the concept? What's the idea? Okay, and here's the thing is you can't, one's not better than the other because if something is not as literal as it needs to be, you can, things can kind of get muddy and you can't understand exactly what the original author was trying to say, okay? But if things are just dynamic, or I'm sorry, if things are just literal, you miss out sometimes on the idea of what's happening because it's just a literal translation. So here's an example. If I were to say, I'm hot, what would I be, what would I be talking about? Now, that's a weird example, but... <laughs> Oh, fail moment as a pastor right there. Oh, gosh. I got to think of something else on the fly right now. If I were to say Herrick Berga is hot, what would, I, what would I be talking about? Would I be talking about his appearance? Would I be talking about his temperature? Would I be talking about his, his level of anger? Like, what would I be talking about? So a literal translation of that would be hot, right? But a dynamic translation that would communicate the idea would be Herrick is really angry or Herrick is incredibly attractive, or Herrick is whatever, right? You're, you're tracking with me this idea, right? So Bible translators, I mean, really gifted scholars, they keep going back and forth of like, how do we incorporate the best of both worlds to be as faithful and as clear and as accurate with the Bible translation as we possibly can, okay? In my opinion, the last several, last several years, I've been in the ESV because I think it's kind of the best blend of both, I think the CSB just surpassed it, and here's why. I think it's a little bit more readable for people. 
So you, it still maintains this kind of like really accurate literal translation, but when necessary, it will drift into a dynamic translation to help communicate the overall idea. Are you tracking with me? So I share all that to say, starting next Sunday, on Sundays, we're going to be, in the, we're going to be using the CSB primarily. To, I'm going to be using it to preach out of, okay? I know many of you have bought and spent money on ESV Bibles. That's wonderful. I'm still going to study out of the ESV. I think it's an incredible translation. But I think in our context in Southern California, especially in a church full of children, I think, it, we, I think we would be poor stewards, me and Herrick, if we weren't pastoring in a way that was really meeting everybody where they're at with the Bible. Does that make sense? So long story short, I've taken way too much time. Next Sunday, we're going to switch to that, okay? People have asked me, um, just really quick, people have asked me, hey, what translations do you recommend? What translations do you use? Me, personally, I'm primarily in three. I don't really drift out of three that often. But typically, I'll study in the ESV, the English Standard Version, and I'll study in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, and then devotional stuff, I'll kind of sometimes use the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. That one's fantastic for children, by the way. It's a lot more easier for them to digest, and it's still faithful. So if you have any questions about that, we can talk. But I wanted to let you know, starting next Sunday, Herrick and I and, and the preachers will typically be preaching out of the Christian Standard Bible. Super faithful, super accurate, very clear. It's not like uh, a heretical Bible or anything. If you have any questions, you can talk to me. Sound good? Yes. Wonderful. Okay. So... Um, this is going to be kind of a different morning for us as a church. Typically, we preach through books of the Bible um, and then sprinkle in topical sermons depending on the needs and the season of life we're in as a church. Um, but like I said, we just got back from this trip. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm basically going to kind of go into the scriptures for a little bit and tell you um, kind of a biblical theology of why these trips are even important. Like, why do we do them, Okay. And then, uh, yeah, and then I'll bring up Herrick and Jason, and we'll talk some more. And they'll kind of share some stories of things that they experienced. But um, to kick us off, I wanted to share, has anybody, this might be crazy, but has anybody been to Cape Town, South Africa? Yes. So that's not fair, Nick. Your family's from South Africa. But yes. So, okay, the reason I bring up Cape Town is because I think it's the most beautiful place in the entire world. It's just outstanding. There's like, if, if you've seen pictures, it doesn't do it justice, but basically you have this massive mountain, right, on the ocean. So not like a cliff, not like, you know, something like an Ireland or anything like that, but it's like this beautiful beach, incredible, and then you have like the shoreline that kind of goes up, and there's a city, a beautiful city, and then it's called Tabletop Mountain, and it's breathtaking. I cannot... I cannot pump it up enough. We got to spend about a day and a half in Cape Town on the way home, and it was incredible. And if you know anything about Cape Town, you know that they've, they've been in this, like, gnarly drought. Have you guys been following this on the news? You heard about day zero? I'll explain it to you. So basically what happened is they've been, I think it was like a three-year drought, really, really bad. And um, what, what happened was I think it was... Uh, I forget the dates exp- uh, exactly, but they were basically... The city was given a five-month countdown to what they called day zero. And what day zero was, was when they would turn the water taps, nothing would come out. So they were given like a little countdown. If, if, if Cape Town continues, the people of Cape Town, if they continue to consume water the way that they have been for the last several years, whatever, you have five months until when you turn on that tap, nothing comes out. Like, think about that for a second. I did not plan that. That was, 
Um, but no, but seriously, think about the idea of like you need water and you can't turn your tap to have it. So it's kind of a beautiful story because the people of Cape Town, they really banded together and they were like, okay, we have to conserve water. Like we ha- this has to be a priority for us. And so what they would do is like in their showers, they would basically put like a tub over the drain and they would shower into the tub, right? And, then, and they would turn off the shower when they weren't, you know, like they'd wash and then they'd rinse and then they'd, but they wouldn't leave it consistently on. But whatever water they would shower with, it would collect in the basin there, you know? And they would literally use that, it's like gray water. They would use that water to flush their toilets. So they'd, they'd have buckets next to the toilet. Actually, I, we, we ate at this, this, um, this spot in Cape Town and I went to use the restroom and there was a bucket there with gray water ready to use it for flushing, right? So they would do that. Um, they would also, <clears throat> like in the airports and everywhere, they would have this, like for the faucet to wash your hands, it would be like mist. And at first you're like, how am I going to wash my hands with mist? But actually you could, you could do it and it was effective. So basically they took all these, they, they took all these precautions. They, 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 they rallied together to conserve water in really practical ways. And they did it as if they're like, they're, as if, they basically, they conserved water as though their life depended on it. Because it does, right? We have to have water. It's really, really important. You see, as people, <clears throat> we prioritize what we value. Everybody. Whether it's water, whether it's food, whether it's how you use your time, whether it's how you use your money, we prioritize the things that we value. And today, we're going to talk about why, not just our church, but our family of churches, why we value and why we um, prioritize trips like the one that I just got back on, the one that we just got back from, okay? Why it's important to us. So, like I said, I'm going to jump into the scriptures for a bit, call the guys up to share some stories, and I'm going to share something that I really believe kind of God's agenda for each of us and for us as a church this morning. Sound good? It doesn't sound good to you. Okay, let me pray for us. <laughs> let me pray for us before I jump in, okay? Will you pray with me? Um, Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for letting me be part of this community. Man what a privilege it is to be known and to know these precious people. I pray, Father, that you would guide our time, that you would encourage us, Holy Spirit, that you really would point us to Jesus and what an abundant life actually looks like. It's not determined by material things. An abundant life is, is communion and fellowship with you and enjoying you together and living the adventure that you have for our lives. So I pray that over us now that maybe seeds would even be planted and clarity might even be given um, to each of us in the ways that you're calling us to follow you, Jesus. So I love you. I trust you. Help me not to say anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish this morning. I really want to honor my church. I want to honor these precious men and women. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16. It's the last chapter in Romans. I'm going to grab my water. Yeah, forgive me, guys. I got sick in the middle of the trip, <clears throat> and I've been fighting it, but I'm still better than I deserve. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 16. So this is Paul, the apostle, right? The, the, the missionary of missionaries, the, the church planner of church planners. This guy, he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, to the Christians in the city of Rome, Okay. And like I said, this is the final chapter of this letter. And what he does is he ends the letter by sending personal greetings to some fellow missionaries. Okay, and we talk about missionary, it's, there's a mission involved. And what's that mission? 
mission is to make disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. Disciple means learner, okay? So the mission is to make disciples of Jesus. This shouldn't be new to us. Um, One of the things that you have to know um, that I think personally, I think that the Western church kind of doesn't get this as, as, as good as we should. One of the things that we have to know is that every Christian, every single Christian is called to be a missionary, It's not reserved for like the varsity Christian or the varsity believer. There's no such thing as JV and varsity Christian. It's like filled with the spirit, following Jesus, or not yet filled with the spirit and not following Jesus. It's on or off. It's binary, okay? There's no JV or varsity Christians. Every Christian is called to be a missionary. And here's the thing. Every Christian is called to be a missionary everywhere. So in your your workplace, um, in your neighborhood, in this city, Here's a huge one for us in our church. In your home. Guys, we have so many children. What a blessing they are. We want to show them how to follow Jesus. We want to show them what it looks like to actually enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him because that's the abundant life that God promises. Again, it's not, it's not, it doesn't require, it's not dependent on materialism or money or, 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 or wealth in the, in the way that the, that the world would define as wealthy. Abundant life in the scriptures is enjoying him. We get Jesus. We get to follow him, okay? Every Christian is called to be a missionary everywhere, home, neighborhood, work, city, all that stuff. Um, so as I read this to you, I want you to take notice of a couple things, okay? Here's what I want you to take notice of. I want you to take notice of how many people, <coughs> how many people Paul names. Okay, how many different people he names. And here's what's cool, is he says something specific about virtually every person that we're about to read about. That means he knew them. There was a relationship, okay? So I'm going to pick up here in verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 16. And just to forewarn you, I'm going to, royally butcher some of these names, okay? So don't hold me accountable to that. I, I, I know a little bit of Greek, but I am not versed, okay? So let's pick it up here in verse three. Forgive the scratch in my throat. Verse three here, Romans chapter 16. Um, greet Prissa, another translation for her name is Priscilla. You maybe have heard of Priscilla and Aquila. That's what we're talking about here. So greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my, my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles, just means not Jews, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church, the people, okay? Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, um, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Okay, that's pretty good trivia for you right there. If anybody asks you, who's the very first Christian in Asia? Now you know, okay, verse six here. Excuse me. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me, really quickly. Um, Where it says that they were well known to the apostles, this is where Bible translations are important. Where it says to, that's not really the most accurate translation of that original Greek word. Um, a better translation is among. So basically how that would, re- would read and probably should read is, um, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known among the apostles. Okay? So here's why that's important. Junia almost certainly was a woman. 
okay? Almost certainly it was a woman among the apostles. That's important, okay? So ladies, what you need to understand is this idea of translocal missionary ministry. It is not just a man's game, okay? The Bible from the very beginning tells a story of empowering women in ways that the culture didn't, in ways that many people didn't around the world. From the beginning, Jesus was like, no, women are equally valuable, not just in his kingdom, but in his mission. So ladies, I want you to know, like, first and foremost, I've, oh, I'm so grateful for many of you. Like, we have some incredibly gifted women in this church. Um, and I want you to know, like, I speak for the rest of us, especially the men in this room, like, we, we believe in you. We want to fan into flame um, the leaders that you are. We want to back you um, because you are, you are such a gift not only to us, but God's empowered you with his spirit um, to radically love and serve not just our city but the planet. And that's something, that was, that's something that the church has been celebrating from the very, very beginning. Okay, sorry not the tangent, but I think I want to honor you ladies. It's important. Verse 8. Uh, greet another name that I don't want to pronounce, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, greet your, your I'm not going to pronounce that one, uh, <clears throat> our fellow worker in Christ um, and my beloved uh, statues, greet Apelles, who, had, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of uh, Narcissus. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Uh, Tryphene, Tryphena, uh, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Uh, really quickly, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on you ladies this morning, but like spiritual motherhood is incredibly important. You have the Apostle Paul, who basically calls this woman out as being a spiritual mother to him. Something tells me that when she was spiritually nurturing him and spiritually mothering him, she wasn't fully aware of the massive impact that the Apostle Paul would have on the planet. Okay? But nonetheless, she spiritually nurtured him and loved him and mothered him and cared for him. Um, so, biology aside, I really do believe that every woman filled with the Spirit is called the spiritually mother in their lifetime, okay? Um, and don't underestimate the power of providing spiritual nurturing to people of all ages. Again, this isn't like a dependent on an age thing, by the way. This is a spiritual maturity thing. So there, some, of you in, some of you in your mid-20s can spiritually nurture people in their 70s, okay? It's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. And let me just say this. We all need that from you ladies, we need it. In the same way that little children need it, we all need that, okay? I know I'm picking on the women, but I'm going to keep moving. Verse 14. Uh, greet Asenubeba, uh, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Verse 15. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, or Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Last verse here, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay, so I just read you 13 verses at the end of the book of Romans in chapter 16 where Paul names 28 people by name. He names 28 people in just these 13 verses. So why did I read that to you? Like, what's the point of me reading that to you? I want you to see that Paul, the other apostles, and all the early Christians, they were not isolated people. 
okay? They weren't independent in trying to fulfill the assignment, trying to fulfill the mission that God himself had given them, okay? What happened is they worked closely together to accomplish their mission. And what was the mission, friends? To make disciples of Jesus, absolutely, okay? And what we read about in the New Testament, we see, like, by far, by far the overwhelming strategy that they implemented to accomplish the mission of making disciples of Jesus that involved two things, planting churches and strengthening churches. That was their strategy because the local church is the best place for men, women, and children to grow in following Jesus, for men, women, and children to develop as followers, as disciples of Jesus. You tracking with me? That's what they gave themselves to, okay? Um, we have a, I believe, a thoroughly de- biblical definition of what a disciple of Jesus is, and I think it's simple, and I think it's something to easily grab a hold of. Um, we would define a disciple, again, the word disciple means learner. We would define a disciple as someone who's learning, it's a process, okay? Someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life, okay? Nothing's off limits, Enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus. That's how we would define a disciple. Someone's learning to do that, okay? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to primarily be focusing on the strengthening piece, right? The two things, planting churches, strengthening churches. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about planting churches today. We'll talk about this, this concept of strengthening churches. So flip over in your Bibles to Ephesians 4 quickly. Quickly. <clears throat> we'll have the words on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read you verses 11 through 16 in Ephesians chapter 4. This is the English Standard Version, by the way. This should sound familiar to you. It says this in verse 11. And he, the he he there is Jesus, and he gave, okay? That word gave, it, it, it indicates that there's a gift happening. He's giving something, okay? It's a gift. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, I love this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, there's that maturity piece again, right? We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. Paul, he authored this, right? He's telling us something very, very, very important here. He's telling us how Jesus actually strengthens his church, how he builds up the body. Okay, remember, if the, the early Christians, they're, they're giving themselves the two things, planting and strengthening churches. How are the, how are the churches actually going to be strengthened? This tells us. It says Jesus gave something, okay? And it tells us how he builds up his body, how Jesus strengthens his church. It says he does it through his various gifts, Okay, I know there's a lot of teaching happening right now. I just need you to know this because it's really important, okay? He says it's through these various gifts. So what I want to do, I want to break down these gifts really, really quickly so that you understand, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what these kind of names mean. Are, they still, are these gifts still in operation? All that kind of stuff. 
And even more than that, this is a huge part of our family of churches. How we actually want to plant churches and how we actually give ourselves to strengthening those churches. So I'm going to jump in, okay? Apostle. So he lists them. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He's, he's describing these gifts that Jesus has given the church to strengthen the church. Let's talk about the first one, apostle. Okay? Um, in my opinion, I think this is the most misunderstood. I think people get, they, they hear the word apostle and they go, whoa, does that mean like you're writing Bible and stuff? What does this mean? Let me explain, okay? I'm going to simplify it for the sake of time because I really want you guys to hear more from Jason and Herrick. So if anything I'm talking about today, if you have questions, come talk to me. I'd love to provide more clarity, okay? But for the sake of time, we're going to simplify things. Uh, Apostle, Greek word there, the original Greek is apostolos, and basically what it means is a sent one. So someone who is sent, okay? And when we talk about apostle in the scriptures, think of it in in, in two different ways. You have a capital A apostle and a lowercase a apostle, okay? Capital A apostle is basically the men who spent time with Jesus in the flesh, okay? They were sent by Jesus on a mission. Jesus in the flesh goes, you 12, I'm te- go. I'm, I'm giving you a command to go. So capital A, apostle, is the 12 guys, the men who were, who were sent by Jesus in the flesh, okay? That includes the original 12 disciples minus Judas because he betrayed Jesus. It also includes Paul. It also includes Paul, See, Paul wasn't part of the original 12 disciples, but he had profound encounters with the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, okay? And not only that, but the original 12, they even recognized Paul as a capital A apostle, book of Galatians, okay? So that's capital A apostle. Lowercase apostle or lowercase A apostle, every other sent one since, so these are people who did not, they weren't taught by Jesus in the flesh. Okay, they were taught essentially through the apostles and the scriptures that we have and the teachings of Jesus through his apostles. Okay, so you have an apostolic gifting. It's different, okay? So they were not sent or taught by Jesus in the flesh. Let me read you a quick quote here from this guy, Neil Cole. He does, a, he does really good scholarly work on these APEST, A-P-E-S-T, apostle, evan- apostle, prophet, evangelist, separate teacher. He does a really, really good job. Um, uh, with this stuff. Let me read this about apostles. Quote, he says this, no cool. Apostles are sent with a specific God-given assignment to lay a foundation for the expansion of the church. And they are mature enough to equip others to do the same. The Greek word, apostolos, from which we get our word apostle, means a sent one. We talked about that. So at its core, <clears throat> the apostolic gift refers to one who is going someplace on, a, on an assigned mission. We get the term, listen to this, this is important. We get the term missionary from a Latin translation of the Greek apostolos. Um, let me read you one more quote. It's kind of more, not as necessarily scholarly, but helpful. From this guy, Peyton Jones. He wrote a, he wrote a book called Church Zero, and this is what he says. Apostle, in the New Te- is, apostle is the New Testament word for a pioneering groundbreaking, foundation-laying, community-founding, team-building, mobile-discipling, self-replacing, church-planning missionary. Okay? Let's move on to the next one. If you have any questions about that, we can talk about it. The next one, prophet. Again, Neil Cole to the rescue here. He says this, quote, they, prophets, hear and speak specific words from God to other people. And as they mature, they learn how to equip others to hear God's voice and obey his leading. A prophet is more than a mouthpiece for God. 
He or she is someone who helps the people of God hear the voice of the Lord and obey. Listen and obey. Okay, prophet. Next one, evangelist. Greek word. You guys, most of these, the rest of these should probably be pretty, uh, you probably know these already, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Greek word, evangelistes, um, it means good news teller. It's literally what an evangelist is. Good news teller. Evangelists are people who passionately seek opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people. Okay, I want to see them give their lives to Jesus, follow Jesus, and become disciples. And people who equip other people to share the gospel of Jesus. That's an evangelist. Okay, shepherd, very simple. They protect and care for God's flock. Um, They have an overwhelming concern for the ongoing care of a specific community. Okay, shepherd shepherd and pastor are interchangeable words in the New Testament. Um, I believe it's poimain in this translation, but in this verse. Last one here, teacher. Teachers guard and they teach the doctrine of Christianity, the doctrine of, uh, of God. A mark of a true Ephesians 4 teaching gift isn't necessarily being a world-class speaker. So it's not like, man, that guy's such a good public speaker. What a gifted teacher. No, that's actually not what marks an Ephesians 4 teaching gift. What marks an Ephesians 4 teaching gift is that people actually learn <clears throat> and that they're now able to teach other people too. And what they're learning isn't necessarily just information and advice they're learning Christian doctrine. They're learning the beautiful depths of the love of God on display in the person of Jesus. Make sense? Okay, that's the APES gifts, the Ephesians 4 gifts. So, Jesus gives these specific gifts to equip and to strengthen the church. That's us, that's people, that's followers of Jesus, okay? I think it's, I debated about whether or not to share this next part with you, but I actually think it's important because the last thing the absolute last thing that I want any of us to do is to, is, to, um, is to criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ in any way, shape, or form. We are called to be a people of unity, of like radical unity, where we honor each other, get this, even when we disagree. That's the mark of a submitted disciple. Okay, but I'm gonna share something with you. Oftentimes, this is in my experience, when you see when you see churches that are operating in any area of kind of unhealth, oftentimes it's because of, because of not having a balance of these gifts in the church. Okay, so here's an example for you. Um, uh, you guys, if I, say, if I use the phrase megachurch, do you know what I'm talking about? Just really large churches. I'm not going to slam megachurches. God saved me in a megachurch. I'm grateful. I'm eternally grateful, Okay. So there's, there, and, and just because it's a megachurch doesn't mean it's unhealthy. But I'll say this, megachurches usually tend, there's oftentimes they'll be led by an evangelist, a very gifted person at, at, at proclaiming the gospel and seeing people genuinely converted and saved. Amazing, okay? But here's, here's the thing. If that becomes the primary heartbeat of a church, I've seen this happen a hundred times, what happens is you, a lot of people get converted, a lot of people get saved, and because there might not be a, um, a, a strong shepherding gift present, you have a lot of people that aren't able to grow past conversion, but they're there and they want to follow Jesus, but because there's not a strong shepherding gift, it kind of hits a ceiling from a spiritual development standpoint. You're tracking with me. Okay. The same thing could be said with like, um, strong prophetic gifting, like people that have a strong prophetic gift that would lead a church is they're pursuing um, listening to God. And, and oftentimes, this is just what I've, my experience, 
oftentimes really gifted prophetic people that, don't, that aren't balanced by like a strong teaching gift is they'll start to drift into doing just funky stuff that you don't see in the Bible. And so my whole point is this. These gifts were given by Jesus to strengthen the church. And you have to strengthen something that's weak. And there's this ongoing way, in the same way you'd go to the gym and try to strengthen each portion of your body so that it's balanced and it's healthy. We want to do that spiritually, and these are the gifts that God has given us to be able to strengthen the church, okay? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip some stuff here. So I read you the end of Romans, okay? <clears throat> really quickly, I want to I read you the beginning of Romans because I think it's really helpful, okay? <clears throat> I want to read you the end, or I want to read you the, the, the beginning in chapter one of Romans. Go ahead and flip there. I want to read you two verses there because I think it's helpful. <clears throat> we see so much collaboration in the New Testament, guys. It's like a big thing. Christians, churches working together. I'm going to read you verses 11, 12, and 13, actually. I'm sorry, no, just 11 and 12. This is Paul writing. This is, the, this is how he starts the book. He ends the book, all these names, people collaborating together to strengthen the church. This is how he starts the book. Verse 11, for I long to see you. Ah, I want to be with you. Relationship. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to what? To strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's Paul's agenda. He wants to share a spiritual gift that would strengthen the church, okay? So, for instance, last couple weeks, Andy and Brad came down to preach here, right? In the same way that they came, they came to use their spiritual gifts to strengthen us as a community. Very different giftings, Andy and Brad, but very, very... um, uh, very, uh, what's the word? Very valuable, very, very, very um, important. I listen to their sermons, and I trust those. Those are like my brothers. I trust them explicitly, and I've seen their gift get refined over the years, and I've seen the way that God uses them. Bringing them in is a benefit to our community. They strengthen us. Okay, that's why we went to South Africa. That's why these kind of international trips ever so often, that's why we do that. It's an extended time, yes, but it's an extended time of equipping and strengthening the churches there. So listen, whether it's traveling from San Diego or LA or Temecula or Durban, South Africa, like the purpose is is to strengthen God's church through our spiritual gifts. That's the point. So, Here's what I want to do. I want to call up Eric and Jason. Come on up, guys. We have stools. This is epic. I totally forgot stools this morning. You guys okay? You with me? I know that's a lot of information, but I think it's really important that we understand why we do what we do. Okay. Let's grab some stools here. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I basically just want them to share with you their experience on the trip, share some cool stories, that kind of thing. And I asked them to uh, kind of around three questions, Okay. What was the biggest impact on your opinion on, so we, we visit really quickly, we visited two churches, spent bulk of our time with two churches. One's called Harbor City in like in downtown Durban, it's like in the more urban area, and one, one's called West Point, and they're kind of more in the suburbs. West Point would have a similar vibe to us as far as families and living in the suburbs and stuff. So what I asked these guys to do, and I want to kind of ask them um, 
I want to kind of lead them through this is how, like, what do you think was the biggest impact that you saw on Harbor City? And what was the biggest impact that you saw on West Point? And like Paul talks about this idea of mutual encouragement, right? What was the impact on you personally? Um, Because I genuinely think that what they have to say will encourage us and build us up. Okay, so first question, gentlemen. Uh, What would you think, like, what do you feel like was the biggest impact on Harbor City? I'm not going to. Yeah, so I, I had some time to think about this, and I really do feel like for Harbor City, it was interesting because we went and um, Tom did a prophetic training for Harbor City, and it, we walked in, and I really felt like this was a community that was already operating in the prophetic, so they weren't new to this. They already had some experience. And, but an interesting, an interesting thing happened. Um, it kind of felt like I'm a, excuse, you'll have to forgive me, I'm a baseball fan, so I use a lot of baseball analogies. You can feel free to use whatever competitive sport or competitive <clears throat> baking, whatever you like. Um, so with, with, <laughs> in baseball, sometimes you have guys who are, they're experienced. They know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. Uh, but sometimes they'll work with a coach who shows them something a little bit different, a new wrinkle on the same thing. So it's not like they're, they're not learning how to pitch. They're learning how to hold the baseball differently so the baseball does something a little bit differently. Does that make sense? That's a wrinkle. And so going over there, I really felt like with Tom coming in, kind of like as a coach and with this kind of crew of, of like players, like they, it really felt like I was watching like a coach like come in and bring like a new wrinkle uh, to this group. And it was really fun for me personally because I, I feel like it was really – Great to see Tom like operating in that way. And then we broke off to practice the stuff that Tom was sharing. And I got to walk out and I saw everybody was so engaged with what he had just shared. It kind of felt like everybody went out and started playing catch. And they were like actually putting what they were learning into practice immediately. And so for me, the biggest impact, I think, that, you know, from my vantage point on Harbor City was that it felt like this kicked their prophetic ministry to another level. Uh, through providing like a new wrinkle on things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so piggybacking off that, um, I think with it, it was prophetic and prayer training uh, specifically. And so, like Eric said, prophetic stuff, extremely well-versed in it. Um, they, they had it down. Uh, what Tom added, uh, practically speaking, is just how to pray through the Lord's Prayer uh, through prophecy and I think that was kind of an eye-opening thing for them to actually practice that. Not just have like a, a vision for people, like seeing a sign or whatever, but how to actually pray for somebody through that. Not, not in an awkward way and, and to shape it, right? Not, not thus saith the Lord, like, and, but actually pray through it. Like reinforcing the father relationship. Uh, these are just some things that I, I, I picked up as well. Um, ask for God's kingdom to come. Ask God to meet daily needs, reinforce giving and receiving of grace, and expose the lies of the enemy. And for us as well, we got to see them not only work through the prophetic, but share those things with other people and pray with them in in ways that actually impacted people in the community. And that was huge. Um, And and it's a very diverse community, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, But it, it was a beautiful picture of, like, God's kingdom, seeing people that 
30 years ago wouldn't be sitting together or be able to sit together, actually like sharing God's word with each other and, and breaking down and crying and holding each other. So uh, that was a huge thing for them. Mm, that's great, man. One of the things that Jason's touching on is, if you're familiar with like kind of the history of South Africa, is this idea of apartheid. And apartheid was essentially like massive government-enforced segregation based on your skin color. Um, so they've, the country's done a lot of work. The church has done a lot of work in really trying to like unite the country. Um, and frankly, one of the things that's cool about Harbor City is they're seeing incredible things. They're seeing like an, they're seeing, oh, this is gonna make me cry. They're, they're seeing like older white Afrikaans men like loving and ministering with like a young 20-something um, Zulu girl. Like that would have never happened, guys. So they're seeing God's kingdom come in fresh, amazing ways. And I really feel like God used this on this trip to strengthen their ability to minister to each other in prayer, which is really, really cool. Um, okay, so what about West Point, guys? What do you feel like was the biggest impact you feel like on that community? Okay, so if, if the impact on Harbor City was potentially more so in the, the equipping side, I think for West Point, it was relational. And from my vantage point, from my perspective, they were so eager to welcome us in. I mean, they opened up their homes. It's a similar, it, the community has a lot of similarities to us here in Temecula. Uh, it's a lot of young families, tons of kids, very hardworking, hard-charging uh, kind, of, kind of vibe. And everybody's got kids, but they all opened up their homes and welcomed us and spent time with us and made meals for us and wanted to hear. And my hosts, Matt and Karen, like, actually we felt kind of convicted thinking about it. Like, I didn't really ask them a whole lot of questions because they just asked me questions. They were just asking me. They wanted to know what we're about. They wanted to know how we plant churches. They wanted to know how we've, you know, we're a part of a church planting church. You know, we're a part of a family of churches. And how have you planted four churches in, you know, five years or whatever? And so they were just eager, I think, to learn and to be with us and to enjoy relationship. So I think that was, that was big. Um, Brian and Caitlin, Brian's the lead pastor and Caitlin's his wife. They are incredible people. And they welcomed us in with open arms, and they actually invited us to Caitlin's 30th birthday, which is kind of a big, <laughs> big event, obviously, in her life. And uh, it, Brian shared, it was just beautiful, like, what Brian had to say about his wife, and then Caitlin just starts sharing, and she just starts talking about Jesus, about what Jesus has done for her. And it was incredible. I think by the end, if she had said, okay, and who wants to rededicate their life to Jesus, I would have been like, <laughs> me. Like, it was just powerful. They're just, they're an amazing couple. They love Jesus. This is some of the th- things I wrote down. They love Jesus, his gospel, and his people. And the amazing thing is we'd sit down and kind of talk. We'd start talking about our churches, about you guys, about their people. And uh, there's a C.S. Lewis quote, if, you've, if maybe you've heard it, where he kind of talks about friendship. And he says friendship starts when two people have the conversation. And then they're like, wait, you too? I thought I was the only one. And I feel like it was like a lot of that. Like, you too? Like, it, just the, the stuff they go through, the... The joys and the challenges are just so similar to us. I've just felt so connected to them. So I really do think like the big impact was relational. It was friendship. It was kind of kinship in gospel partnership. Mm. Yeah, so uh, West Point, I mean, if you took Temecula and threw it in South Africa, that would be West Point up in Kloof. Um, complete, the stories that were shared were almost identical in a lot of ways. Um, but I think... For me, what I saw specifically in that community, um, Tom's in his wheelhouse when he talks about like to listen and obey. That's when you know uh, 
Tom's in his, his element. And one of the messages that he shared was to listen and obey. And I think within that community, there are such powerful women in that community. Um, yeah. it, it, it's like, it's the backbone of that church. And I think the the message really emboldened the women there to basically take the, take the lead on holiness and like grab it and lead that community. Um, I'll give you a specific example from what happened before. But so Brian Barnes is the pastor of West Point Church. And uh, this was a few months back. He got really sick. He had all his sermon notes. He got really sick. He showed up and he was, he basically turned to his wife, Caitlin, and was like, I don't, I don't think I can preach this morning. Like, I'm so sick. And he's like, maybe we'll just do more worship. Maybe we'll just do. And she ripped the notes out of his hand. And she's like, the word of God will be preached in his house. <laughs> Dude, I listened to this message. She killed it. It was better than Brian probably could have <laughs> teach the message. I hope Brian's listening. I love you. Um, but it, it's like such a beautiful picture of that community. Even like my host, uh, Bianca and Chevy, like she is such, Caitlin, Bianca, I, I can think of like a dozen women in that community are such powerhouses. And I think after that training, um, and, and the message to listen and obey the, the ladies were like Bianca and Chevy kept me up to like midnight uh, one night and we were just discussing the message like Temecula Kloof what it meant and really like hey we're going to take the charge on holiness and we're going to run with this and this is what it looks like to be fully human is to be holy and this is what we need to do and and even if it like means that the men in the community are going to piggyback off that it, so be it. Like it, it was, it was a massive thing for those ladies. That's great, guys. Okay, one more thing. <clears throat> um, the biggest impact for you personally? Um, it's really hard to narrow it down to one thing, but I, but I did it because uh, there's just a lot of stuff that happened. So I, I, it's, I feel like it's important to give some context as we were heading into this trip. This happens, I think, to every disciple. So this isn't like unique to me as in, a, in a pastoral role. Like we just go through periods of discouragement sometimes, and I felt like really discouraged heading into this trip. If I'm completely honest. Uh, I just felt like just really down about myself. I, just experiencing all my weaknesses and you know inabilities and limitations, all my developmental needs, and I just kind of felt like oh, I have such a long way to go as a disciple, as a pastor, as a man. Um, so this was like Monday. We were leaving. I think we left Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday. And so this is Monday morning before the trip. Uh, I'm in this space. I'm kind of wrestling with this stuff, and I get a text from Tom. <laughs> and he just forwards me like a text from, from Caitlin, Brian's wife uh, from West Point. And it's basically like an invitation to speak at, at this all-girls school, <laughs> all-girls high school in, in South Africa. And so here I am. It's kind of like if you've ever been in like a space that you're at work or whatever where you've got a project or something that's just not going well, and then, you're, and then your boss is like, okay, and I need you to give an update today, right now. And you're just like, can anyone else, literally anyone else, can, can anybody else do this besides me? That's kind of how it felt. And I didn't respond right away to Tom's text. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing that was just run, running in my mind was like, no, no, pass, <laughs> pass. Pass, 10 times, like, pass. Uh, but as I, thankfully, I didn't run with that. I just kind of paused, and I was like, I'll just pray about this and see what happens. And I really felt like, pretty clearly, Jesus was like, I'm not deterred by what you're experiencing, so don't you be deterred either. Like, press on. 
And so I was like, okay. And I told Tom, yeah, we should talk about this, but yes. Uh, and, uh, and then it was like head first into packing, prepping, wanting to spend time with Heather and the kids. Uh, and then, you know, tons of travel. Not necessarily the best environment on the, on the plane <laughs> to prep a message. And then we like land in South Africa and it's just like go, go, go. Meetings, meals, uh, ministering at, at Harbor City. And so before I knew it, it's 10 p.m., I'm getting dropped off at home the night before I'm scheduled to speak, and I have like four words scribbled down about what I'm going to share at 7.30 in the morning, the next morning. So I had, I had to speak at 7.30 in front of high school girls. Uh, so I was like, this is just, ugh, whatever. And so I just had a chance to share my story. So I prayed, and I start writing, and I just feel like God gives me like a couple of like quick things that are unique to my story to really emphasize, and so... Wake up the next morning, I think it, I went to sleep at 2, woke up at 6, I'm there at 7.30 to, to speak, and I'm thinking it'll be like, you know, 15 to 20 girls, maybe like one classroom, and so, and so we walk into this auditorium, because it's chapel, it's like, the chapel's too small for this crowd, so I was like, what? So we walk in, and it's literally 500, there's space for 500 people, and Guys, every seat is full. <laughs> it was incredible. So I'm literally live tweeting my gospel community. I'm like, guys, I've never spoken before a crowd this big. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'm going back through my notes. And again, this is all like flowing out of a period of discouragement. Where I'm just like, God, is, what are you doing? Am, am I really, can you work through me? Can you really minister through me? And so I just get up and I start sharing. <laughs> In front of 514 to 17-year-old South African girls. And at that point, it's just like, okay, well, I've got my notes. I'm going to roll with it. I had 10 minutes to share, which is pretty, it's tough to share your story in 10 minutes. And so I just get going. I start sharing. I start telling them things about my life. And for whatever reason, my story really resonates with 14 to 17-year-old South African girls. Because at one point in the story, I'm, I'm in a relationship, and I have to kind of choose, like, am I going to go with the girl or I'm going to follow Jesus? And I just turned to them and I said, what do you guys think I did? And they were like, well, naturally, you're a pastor, so of course you chose Jesus. And I'm like, I chose the girl. And they are like, <gasps> audible gasps in the room. And then I keep telling my story, and then I get to another point where it's kind of like a turning point. I either go for the girl and go for Jesus, and then I'm like, this time I followed Jesus. And they literally erupted in applause. Can, can I Can I share? It's, yeah. You guys don't understand, <clears throat> okay? I cannot think of a more difficult crowd to talk to for 10 minutes. Um, it was incredible. Like, this whole room full of teenage girls erupted in applause, and you should have seen Herrick's face. It was priceless. He was like... <laughs> because here's... And, uh, sorry if I'm overstepping my, my mouth. Because it was that moment where it wasn't just God encouraging these girls with the, just the beauty and glory of Jesus, it was God reminding Herrick that like, his spirit's strong in him and like, he's, got a, he's got a plan for his life. Um, it was mutually encouraging. And literally, we talked to um, a bunch of people in Africa, and they're like, we've spoken there, it's so difficult, I've never heard anything like that. The staff was like, we've never seen anything like this happen. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Herrick Berger. No, it was... <clears throat> yeah. It was pretty wild. I walked off and I was like, oh, that's an easy crowd to preach to. And they're like, no. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. So, yeah. So, I just felt like God's faithfulness was so clear. And, um, yeah, I just don't want to be dominated by fear. Just, there's no need to be afraid. Like, if God's in it, he's going to do amazing things. That's great, bro. Wrap us up, Jay. 
Yeah. Uh, you guys, Herrick Berga speaks to the heart of every 14 to 17-year-old girl. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, so the, the thing that I, I got the most um, really was joy, um, and, which is really a sign of spiritual maturity that I think we take for granted a lot. Yeah. Um, but it, you have to understand, like, the, the history of South Africa um, like Tom was talking about, like our apartheid was only ended in 1994. So think about like how recent those events are, how broken that country is, how how absolutely like separated people groups are from each other because of it. Um, and then they went through just the, their last president as well, just immense corruption. I mean, we're talking billions upon billions of dollars stripped out of the country. Like, this is a poor country. It, the dollar to the rand was 14 to 1. So our $1 is $14 to them. Um, and yet, at the same time, like, their joy was so overwhelming in the pockets of, like, yeah. the communities we were in. Like, we would go to dinner, and there would be, like, 10 of us, and it would cost $40 with, like, bottles of wine and stuff like that, and they would, like, fight us over the check. And you're like, dude, it's $40 to us. Like, you have no... And they're like, no, you're our brothers. Like, it, it was such a big deal to them to, like, be generous and joyful about it. Like, they, they wanted to serve us. They wanted to love us. Um, and I think the, the pictures... I mean, Tom, uh, Tom hinted at it a little bit, but... I. When I was sitting there thinking about it on, on Friday, so let me tell you, when you get around a bunch of pastors and they're discussing what Bible version to use for the church, and three hours later they're talking still about it, I'm like, I'm just going to download the CSB uh, on my phone so I can read. And uh, So then it's like the CSB sending me daily updates. So I wake up Friday to my daily update, and it's Psalm 133.1. And the verses in the CSB, by the way, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And I'm like, oh my God. Beautiful, Jay. Like, we, Herrick and I stayed with um, uh, Afrikaans couple, Christo and Marika. Uh, guys, they went above and beyond, like, to serve us, to love us. Like, they didn't have to, they could have just provided us basically like a room and a bed. But we couldn't get up in the morning without, like, breakfast being already prepared, without rooibos tea, like, already set aside the way we like it, like, above and beyond. And, and it was such, like, a joyful thing for them to be able to, like, love us, to serve us. Um, and it really hit me um, deeply, like, seeing... Think about Christo. Like, the, it's an Afrikaans guy. He was, he's probably, like mid-50s, I would say, or in his, like, 50s, late 40s, 50s. Sorry, Christo, if you're actually younger. Um, but this guy that grew up in this complete economic disparity, like, had everything at his fingertips, right? Um, and yet he's, like, ministering to a 20, 25-year-old, like, South African black man and crying because he's, like, the, the spirit's in this the Holy Spirit is in this kid, like, and so joyful about it. And just the interactions with, like, him, uh, his housekeeper, Fakile, what a wonderful woman. Um, 
this Zulu lady by the end of the trip who was calling Herrick and I her boys, um, <laughs> like giving us kisses in the morning, just smothering us with hugs, and uh, who came from like the poorest conditions in the world, but just overwhelmingly joyful to like have people in her life, in her home. Like she was proud of her country. She was proud of her home. She was, it, it was seeing those pockets of like God's kingdom advancing. Like you could look out around South Africa and they're like, yeah, we have our problems. But then seeing like in Harbor City and West Point, like God's kingdom actually advancing what restoration looks like. What, what it looks like when Jesus invades a space that is deeply rooted in racism, deeply rooted in economic disparities, and what he actually does in the hearts that he breaks and changes and molds and makes it look like his own heart. I, when we left, I, I'll speak for myself, when we left Cristo and Marika's house and we knew like we weren't going to go back, I, I broke down crying. I looked at Grant in the car, I'm like, I'm sorry, man, like... This is what this is what I want for our community, right? I want our community to be reflective of Jesus. No matter what our situation outside looks like, I want us to be a people that chase after Jesus and have Jesus chase after us and have the Holy Spirit live in us to where we do things that are generous beyond our capacity. Yeah. Um, and be joyful. Like, be joyful about that. So, yeah, joy. Big. Mm, beautiful, guys. Um. Would you give them a round of applause? Thank you, guys. I appreciate you sharing your perspective. Um, I really think it's beneficial. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to close this out. What does this mean for our church? Like, cool, this is great. I think we could see biblically that there's collaboration and partnership happening to advance God's kingdom. Um, You got to hear some of the stories. I wish we had more time. But what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as a church, corporately? What does it mean for us individually? Here's what I want. I want you to see how God strengthens his church. Um, It's not just an event. We're a family, a global family and a local family. It's not just an event. I want you to see how God strengthens his church. And he does it through the gifts that he gives people, okay? Through the gifts that he gives his church. So hear me say this. It might not be an Ephesians 4 gift for you. That's okay. There's a plethora of other spiritual gifts. It might not be in Ephesians 4. Maybe it's something else. Maybe for you, it's like um, the gift of encouragement. I know many of you have the gift of encouragement. So some of you, I know it's that. Okay, maybe it's the gift of encouragement. <clears throat> Guess what? Everybody needs you. Everybody. Locally, translocally, whatever. We all need you. So like when someone's discouraged in our community, someone's having a hard time, they're down, they're struggling, we need to be able to send you in. Are you tracking with me? We need to be able to know each other's gifts to the point where we can go like, okay, I know uh, Sean's having a tough time. Uh, Kylo, like, dude, I need you to, like, Kylo's got to give. Like, we need to, we need to, it's almost like, forgive my analogy, but it's almost like matchmaking. And not romantically, gift-wise and need-wise, okay? Uh, Sarah needs encouragement. Lisa, I you've got to spend some time with Sarah, like whatever, or vice versa. You're tracking with this idea. We need to know each other. We need to know the ways that God has gifted us so that we can send each other. Yeah, man, sometimes it's not like just across the world, right? Or across the state. Sometimes it literally is across the room. 
It's important, okay? Because God has called each of us to be sent. To be a Christian is a missionary, okay? Um, Let me wrap us up with this. Basically, I want you to know that strengthening God's church is a massive priority for us. It really, really is. Not just locally, but globally. It's, it's God's mission. It's what he's called us to. Yes, on a macro level across the globe, right? But equally as importantly on a micro level across the room. It's really, really important, okay? So, maybe you aren't called to preach a sermon. Maybe you aren't called to lead worship. Maybe you aren't called to, to, to lead a training yet, but all of us are sent ones, guys. Hear me say that. All of us. Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a sent one. So my prayer for our church is that God would make us more and more of a collaborative community that's dedicated to making and strengthening disciples of Jesus everywhere. It's really important, okay? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, how much time do we have? We have maybe seven minutes left in our gathering. <clears throat> we went really long. Um, the band's going to lead us in, in, in a song. I want us to respond in praise and worship, right? So we'll do a song. But, but here's what I want to do, okay? I want to I pray. Um, and I want to pray over kind of two things. I want to pray over dormant gifts. So this would be like... Uh, you know you're wired a certain way. You know God's given you a desire uh, in, in specific areas. I'm looking at someone right now. And uh, <clears throat> it, it's almost like it's been dusty a little bit. It's kind of sat on the shelf for a little while. Like, I want to pray for those of us that have something like that, that God would kind of stir in us a desire and fan that into flame so that we would love the world through our gifts. God, your gifts don't exist for you. That they, they're, they're, they're gifts for other people so that God can communicate his love to them. So for those of us that are having those kind of like those dormant gifts, I want to pray that the Spirit would fan those into flame, okay? So that you'd be walking in more obedience in God's call and adventure for your life and the planet and Temecula would benefit from it. So that's the first thing I want to pray for. The second thing I want to pray for is for those of you guys that are like desiring a, a specific gift, desiring to operate in a specific gift. Maybe you have like a desire to preach a sermon, or, 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 to, or to lead worship or, or, to, or, or, to, or to pray over people or to whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> a desire to see God's kingdom come in your business. Like how you can actually bring about his rule and his reign through business. Like God wants his kingdom to come in every single facet of life, okay? So whatever it is, I wanna pray that God would pour out a spirit on us in, 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 in specific ways, okay? So dormant, gifts and desired gifts, if there's gifts that you desire, okay? I'm going to ask God to pour his spirit on us and grow us and develop us, not so that we can be an insulated community that's like super stoked on all our gifts and we have collected and hoarded all this spiritual wealth, but no, so that we would be people who move in power and give of ourselves to see God's mission advance, not our own mission. What, if, what would it look like if our mission actually was God's mission and his kingdom came? Like, that'd be amazing. That's the goal. That's our mission, okay? So, why do we do that? We do that so that more and more people can experience Jesus. It's not just about going through the motions of exercising, using gifts, and feeling good about ourselves. We want more and more people to experience Jesus, to encounter the love of Jesus, his grace and his mercy, 
Like, guys, he was the ultimate missionary. Jesus was the ultimate sent one. He came for you. He came for me. He came, he was sent to live the perfect life in our place. The ways that we screw up so he could cover it. He could give you that perfect record. And he came to die the death that we deserve for the ways that we go, no, I'm going to live for my kingdom. I'm going to live for my mission, my agenda. And that oftentimes is rooted in greed, which means that other people don't have. I have so that other people don't have. Jesus flips that on his head and says, no, I'll, I'll, I'll relinquish so that other people can have. He sacrifices. He's generous. He's the greatest missionary ever. We want to walk in his footsteps. And as we do that, in the same love that we've experienced, the people around us will experience. That's the goal. That's our mission. Okay? So let me pray for us. We'll respond with a song. Is that okay, Rock? One more. Um, and let's see what God does in this beautiful community. Huh? Let me pray for us. God, make us people who are not passive, but who are active. And when I say active, I don't mean like um, trying really hard to accomplish something. I mean people who respond to who you are and what you've done. Make us, make us responders. Make us people who passionately respond to you and your goodness. So I pray for dormant gifts, God. I pray that you'd awaken them right now. Where people desire to minister to, each other, to people in prayer, I pray that you'd awaken that. Um, I think about men and women who genuinely have a desire to teach the Bible. We don't always need a pulpit to do that. I think spiritual mothering and spiritual fathering people who can, who can genuinely stir our affections through praise. We have so many service gifts in this church, men and women who lay their lives down and serve the needs of others. We want more of that. Every Christian's called to serve. I pray for dormant gifts, Holy Spirit, that you'd awaken them and that all of us would walk in the fullness of following Jesus. And I pray for those who, are, who, have, who desire spiritual gifts and specific ones. Maybe they want to hear from you more clearly. They want, they, they want a prophetic gifting. They want to be able to get revelation from you and, and be obedient to share it in a biblical way that results in spiritual fruit in people's lives. Holy Spirit, would you bless us us this morning and every morning after this with the adventure of saying yes to your mission and the joy of experiencing and encountering you working in and through us until you come again Jesus we love you